All right, welcome back to Building a Fighter. My name is Dr. Austin Shane, sports chiropractor in Scottsdale, Arizona. With me, as always, badass strength coach in Denver, Colorado, Alex Friedman. Today, we're going to be talking about getting better at what you do for work, for life, anything at all, but in, in reality, looking at what building a fighter works with. So strength and conditioning, healthcare, dietetics, sport coaches, and athletes too at the end of the day, because all these useful skills can be applied to not just the coaching staff and the support staff, but also the athletes themselves. So Alex, how do you get better at what you do? Right. So with continuing education, like I, I look at it two different ways. Um, there's the acute, the weekly seminars, the micro approaches where you're going to install this technique today. Right. And so that's mm -hmm. something that you can get better at right now. Here's your specific set of knowledge and we're done with it. Right. So that's a weekend seminar. That's your uh, grappling camp. That's a striking seminar, stuff like that. And then the other approach is the, the long term learning phase. So the the practicing every day, the choosing a set skill and giving yourself six months to progress at it and, and things like that. So I look at it as an acute phase and then there's the, the longevity that goes with it, too. And most recently, I personally have been working on the longevity phase, the, the pick one goal, stick to it for six months to a year, see how far we can develop, see how well we can do. What have you been working on recently? Um, so I'd say this started probably a year ago, year and a half ago. Um, and at that point, my goal was to create better relationships. I wanted okay. to be able to connect with my athletes better. I wanted to create meaningful relationships and, and therefore coach better from it. And, you know, have a meaningful relationship with the person in front of me. So that phase kind of came and went. I feel like I got really good at that and I developed that skill set really well. And then most recently I've moved on. I went into a movement learning phase. So movement at the facility that I work at right now, Landau Performance, pertains to sprinting, lateral movement, change of direction, uh, and, and some of that stuff, almost like track coaching. And for Lando performance, that's like the calling card. That's the, the one thing that they do better than everybody else. So I'm in a prime time facility to start learning it. It's kind of been a weakness in my game. It's not something that I have really practiced a lot. So it was right for the picking. And I feel like I'm, I'm on the tail end of that progression cycle. You're just making all these little kids just go out there and sprint for your amusement, essentially. <laughs> I do. I do use some of my youth <laughs> athletes to, to practice my coaching on, which sounds amoral, but I promise they're getting some benefit out of it too. So. They're the most adaptable. And they make the most mistakes. So I get to practice cueing and coaching different exactly. scenarios. If you can coach a six-year-old, guess what? You can coach a professional athlete. No, um, I've, I've been doing the same thing. I, I've been working on, on my macro level for the last about two years. On the strength coach side, I've been trying to get better at absolute strength phases. It's something that I've never been great at just because I focus so much and I'm so fo really just isolated into the functional capacity side of strength and conditioning that I normally don't let people get outside of what I would consider be the norms of form or, or outside of anything that might cause a little bit more of an increase to injury risk. And that's, I know something that I need to get better at because there are some athletes that literally you just got to get fucking stronger no matter what. And, and it can't just be in your functional capacity. Sometimes you just got to go out there and try a movement pattern and it might not fucking work and, and load the shit out of it. 
And I've been trying to do that more and more and more and throwing that in over the last two years. And it's something, even though it's made me uncomfortable at times and I've, I've done, there's been mistakes along the way, we'll say, um, <laughs> on myself mostly, cause I, anything I'm going to give to them, I'm going to try myself. Um, sure. it's, it's been a learning curve, but it's gotten me a lot better. And I can say the yeah. same thing on the side of, I've gotten so much better at dry needling recently on the healthcare side of things. And it's because I've point blank tried to get better at it. That was my goal of my first three years into practice. That's the skill that I wanted to be better at than anybody in my area at, because I knew how beneficial it was if I could do, if I could do it well. And so I've been just trying to fine tune that skill as much as I can. And I I think it's finally starting to, I'm about two years, two and three quarter years in, and it's starting to pay off my dividends. Yeah, absolutely. That's a really cool process too. And, and we've all felt it as athletes. It's like the first time you try a skill and you're not that good at it, or you can't exactly replicate what your coach has taught Mm -hmm. you to drill. Right. And then, you know, end of the season comes six months down the line or whatever, all of a sudden that's like your move. That's something you identify with and you can hit on anybody. Right. So that's a really cool process to come to fruition. Um, but you said one thing that I thought was really cool with coaching and specifically in coaching, continuing education. We've hit on this podcast so many times. We think it's really important and integral as a coach. You put yourself out there and either you try your athlete sport or that you're active in yourself, right? Mm-hmm. You have to live a life that you can lead from. Um, but what you said was you try out everything that you're practicing on yourself first in strength and conditioning. I don't think there's any better way to learn from it, right? No. You know, when I was first learning how to do trap bar deadlifts uh, in my first internship, it was like the best way that I could process it and put, um, you know, some traction on the ground was I had to trap bar deadlift for, you know, 16 weeks straight. I had to get really good at that skill. And now I can coach it. I can dem- or I can uh, describe what you should feel as you go through it. I can look at it from an outside in and an inside out perspective, which I think is integral. And that's, you know, quite honestly, where most of my workouts come from is I try sure. other people's programs that I, I've created for them. Let's see how this piece works with that piece. And then that gets to kind of the chef portion of your cook to chef analogy. But it's uh, I think that there's no better way in strength and conditioning to learn something new other than to try it out on yourself. Well, it's perfect on the topic of growth that we're talking about. That's, that's the best way to grow because that pushes you to your limits, not just mentally, but physically as well. Like that's a lot of the mobility flows that I'll throw up my athletes or, um, just really just anything in general, but mostly the mobility flows. I'll be at my house, uh, on a Sunday afternoon and I'm just going to go through 15 minutes to make my body feel better. And I'll try new shit. Like, I'll just see, what is this supposed to feel like? What is this supposed to feel like? If I go on my toe versus on my heel, like what are these different variables that I can play with that is going to potentially pay dividends for my health and then the health of my athletes down the road? Um, and, and that's growth, but it's growth in a fun way. <laughs> it's almost gamifying learning at yeah. that point because you're giving yourself, I'm a tactile learner, so I'm giving myself mm-hmm. a stimulus that I know I'm attracted to. Um well, and I mm-hmm. think one point on that before you move on, Austin, sorry, yeah. is You're good. Um, I think that shows a higher level of learning too, or a better level of understanding, right? Because um, I, I nerd out a little bit, but there's this thing called Bloom's taxonomy of learning, mm-hmm. right? Your base level is your memorization skills, right? Like I can write notes about what the speaker's saying in front of me. I can try and regurgitate it on a test, blah, blah, blah. But like, that's the, the lowest standard of learning. We get yep. into some 
analyzation, then we get up to some uh, examination, then we get up and the ultimate step in this pyramid, and I can't remember every single step, but the final step is creating, right? The creativity aspect. So if you're doing a, a mobility flow of a couple different things, you know, or well, you're getting into the zone with it, you're creating it on yourself, which shows a, a, a big mastery of the subject material. For sure. So I think I think that's where things get really interesting. And it's hard when people jump to that creative piece and don't quite understand all the foundations. <laughs> so I think there's a lot of fundamentals and foundations we have to obviously learn. But the creative piece is what really excites me when especially in the programming. Well, and the other thing, before I move on to my other point, I'll nerd out on mobility flows and, and movement flows in general is I'm not an artistic person. I'm not good. At, I cannot color in the lines. I think I've said it like 10 times on this podcast. Mm -hmm. I'm not good at music. I, I, I can't do art well. But what I see my mobility flows at is, is my way to be creative and stimulate the other side of my brain to, to do art for, yeah. for all intensive purposes. It's art. It's just art that you're moving your body into. It's mm -hmm. physical art. Interpretive um, it, dance. Ex yeah, I mean, honestly, it's interpretive something. I don't know if I'm, <laughs> I would argue to say that I'm dancing <laughs> when I'm doing it. I have no rhythm, but it, oh, but God. it is movements that I try to find because when you do it right, when you do a flow right, and it actually does what the word, what the name says flows, yeah. God, that shit feels good. You feel mm -hmm. magical. Like you, you feel like you've taken all it. of the best drugs you've ever had in your life and you're just sitting in it. But when I find that right, that right fit, like for me, I really like the fit of low bear sit outs into a crab reach and pull that back through that works so well for my body. I activate my slings. It makes me feel great. I like to throw that in just because it's like hitting the right note. It, it's when you listen to your favorite musician and they hit the right note or like you listen to rush and they have a badass drum solo. Um, so that's my little ode to mobility flows, for example, because I think too many people just for your warmups, do sets and reps and bullshit instead of just put a little timer on and move through all your different movements and try not to lose rhythm as you go through, because it's, it's integral to learning how to be rhythmic in your sport as well. For I sure. digress. No. I, and I think I'm going to expand. Um, some of the <laughs> best athletes that you see, you know, execute in MMA or, or any other professional sport, they look like they're performing, right? Yeah, it doesn't 100%. just look like they're, they're drilling or they're working really hard. Or it looks easy to them. It looks like they're flowing. It looks like they're in that flow state, quote unquote. So when you lot, when you watch Suge go out there and, and fight, that's yeah. art. That's it's not, yeah. that's not fighting. I mean, it is fighting. You're getting punched and, and shit, but that's art. When you saw prime Connor go out there and compete, that was art. That was art at play. It was like he was at the right rhythm and every single person he fought was at the, was offbeat yeah. basically. And, and when it works, when they do it right, or when you do it right, there's no better feeling in the world. And you just know immediately that that's what you're supposed to be doing. And that's the cool part about those types of exercises. But again, I digress back to continual growth. <laughs> um, one thing you touched on earlier is the the acute phases of um, of continual growth, like the sure. weekend seminars and shit. Mm -hmm. I personally feel like those get demonized a lot when, when these talks happen, not just By you, I know you're, well. yeah. yeah, not just you. I know you're smiling, but so many people are quick to, Oh my God. Burp. That was a good one. That was gross. Um, so many people are quick to point the finger at, 
hey, weekend seminars, weekend courses, they're they're wrong. That's what's ruining everything. They're gimmicky. They're expensive, yada, yada, yada. There's so many different things, shitty things you can say about them. But what I will say is the thing about continual weekend like growth seminars or weekend seminars that are going to make you better is typically the only people that go to those are the ones that want to get better. So you're around of like you're around a group of like-minded people that are all focused on the same goal. And yes, you are do you want actionable steps? Yes. Is it probably overrated that you go to something to get so that you can use it on Monday and it's a Sunday seminar? Also, yes. Like that's that's not the shouldn't be the main goal of going to a course like that. Right. But something that it does that I feel like is an underrated step or an underrated goal is it makes you want to get better because you spend an entire weekend around people with similar drive to you and similar interests and, and call that networking, call that connecting, call that just learning, whatever it may be, but similar to like a movement flow where it's a feeling you get when you do it right. When I go to the right weekend course, if I go to the right at continuing education seminar, I leave there feeling like I like I can crush the world. Like I was in the perfect spot in my life. There's nowhere else I'd rather be. I can go home. I can use the shit I learned, but I'm just going to be a better practitioner because I was around people that made me want to be better. No, absolutely. And I think that that is the the quintessential um, piece of your acute learning phase is, is the people that you surround yourself with at those seminars, right? The networking that happens, the sidebar conversations, the bar that you go to after it. I a hundred percent see most of the value in those type of connections, uh, that type of knowledge flow from person to person, like you said, like-minded want to get continually better, right? The presentations are there and they're good subject material period, but there's a couple drawbacks that I'm going to be hesitant to say because we're talking about the positives of it, but no, throw your negatives at me, throw your negatives at me, Alex rain on my parade. I mean, one it's overpriced. They're, they're all overpriced. You say that, but I'll push back as, as people that are going into this. Sure. Continue. Yes. You want to get paid for your expertise. I get it. You want to get paid for your expertise, but you also don't want people to waste your time. And that's a really shitty thing to say when you say it out loud like that. But if I do something for a hundred dollars, I bet you if there's 50 people there, 20 of them are going to be fucking off during what I'm saying. Well, yeah. And and that's demographic selection. And we go through that with our price points on our programs and and everywhere else. Like for sure. I, I understand that, but but no, I'm, I still have points to make here. Sure, if I char- if I'm charging ten times that, say I'm charging a thousand dollars for a course, say it's an FRC course, which I'm gonna sure. go take soon. Do you know how little I'm gonna fuck off when I'm paying a thousand dollars for education? <laughs> that also, on top of all of this, means that if somebody's willing to pay a thousand dollars for your educational costs, and you can, and you're multiple people, you can fill up classes. They're probably not charging enough. You want to get to the point where you're charging so much that some you're you're struggling to fill classes, or else you're leaving shit on the table. On that, but that's end, how good the, your information is. On the servicing business end, I see 100. That's a that's manipulating your supply demand curve. Like I totally agree with you. From like like you said, if you're going to FRC course, that's a really smart move for the FRC. But you know what else FRC is really popular for is zealots. People that only and exclusively prescribe to that. So you can get to that end of the spectrum too, where there's, you know, people that are bought in and and now maybe I'm not going to somewhere that I'm like-minded with these people and I don't want to continually grow with them. Right. And so that's an experience, obviously 
contextual and, and things like that. But in my humble opinion, a lot of these things are, are overpriced or not necessarily um, a worthwhile investment if you're not already sold on the concept, right? So one that I'm attracted to uh, is, um, Jesus Christ, the kettlebell certification. No, strong first. Strong first. I would love to do that course. And I have done kettlebell training since for the last five, six years, since I've pretty much indoctrinated into strength and conditioning. I would love to be a strong first certified coach. I'm not going to pay $1,200 for it. I just won't. But then you don't want to be a strong first coach enough. That, that is yeah, basically, sure. that's great. And, and yeah. you don't value the information. Sure. That's just point blank at the, at the end of the day, what it is. And that, but the thing is they're okay with that. Yeah. They've already had their business, you know? Right. So I, while I, I guess I don't disagree with you, like shit could always be cheaper for sure. But the other thing on top of all of that is do you, if everybody had that information, would that information even be like useful anymore? Is it could be everybody, so many people are doing the exact same thing. You, you want to grow. Yes. You want to grow to make the people around you better. You want to grow to help the people in front of you, but you also want to grow to stand out from your competition. So if everybody could be strong for certified, how does that help you stand out? How does that help you be different or really grow? Sure. That, that adds you to an exclusive market for sure. I think the information is still useful, right? I, I think that that may have been just a bad word choice by you, but Information is always going to be useful. People using that information or if we can apply it in the correct context would be useful. The, the, the setting yourself apart, creating part of the exclusive market is, is the value that you get when the price point's so high. So, so yeah, maybe they're, they're adding that into their, their marketing fee or their, their uh, fee for the seminar. But also in, in my point of view on things, the more certifications you have, it's not necessarily the more I trust you. No, you know, I, I need to see how you apply true. these things. Like, like there's a bunch of people that have, you know, certifications, you know, 10 deep going after their name and it's yeah, like, they suck, right. They suck. <laughs> or it's like, how good really are you at any of these things? Right. And, and I believe me, I'm, I'm a huge fan of the Jack of all trades. I think you should keep adding tools to your tool belt continually, but I don't think those tools need to cost upwards of a thousand dollars on for a weekend course. I would disagree with you, but I'm not going to spend the rest of this podcast arguing that. Um, disagree a lot. It's okay, folks. Yeah. Um, but what I will say is I, I totally do agree with, with your point of it's not the amount of tools you have. It's your tool selection that matters. Yeah. Um, some I've been around some amazing, 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 amazing docs uh, like Kairos and PTs that have never taken a weekend seminar ever. They yeah. just are really, they're just inherently good at what they do. But what I do like about the weekend courses, the different courses is just like what we talk about with building a fighter in our future courses is there could be somebody that takes one of our building a fighter courses and is a shit practitioner. And our course isn't going to make them be any less of a shit practitioner. Sure. But guess what? If you took my course and you have my course notes right there, I can call you up and I can talk the same language with you. And that's a cool thing about courses is that like, if I, if I have somebody that's taken a DNS course they and they're DNS B certified, so they've taken all the way through the contralateral and ipsilateral rotation patterns. I know that I can talk the exact same language in them 
And if I needed to refer that patient or if I needed a second opinion on something or anything along those lines, we can talk in the same exact language and I can understand them. They can understand me and it's seamless versus me having to explain topics over and over and over again. So that's something, another thing that I think is underrated about these different courses is it promotes a language set that can be adopted by multiple people. And then you can actually have discourse back and forth, whether you're agreeing or whether you're disagreeing or whether you're just referring, but you guys can talk in the same wavelength. Yeah. I, I don't disagree with that point. I mean, I think communication is always, can always be clearer and with the same language, like that's one of the biggest points in our building fighter shirt that we're going to create is let's get MMA support staff speaking all the same language. Let's educate MMA support staff on the sport of MMA mm-hmm. because this is a budding industry with sports performance crossing over into mixed martial arts. Um, and so we, there's a lot of education that needs to happen because of that. So on this, on the, the page of creating a mutual context and creating the same language, I think there, there can be nothing more beneficial, but I think you can also get that from the interpersonal connections that you make at the, at these courses, right? Because yeah. A lot of the most valuable I've experiences that I've had at weekend seminars at, at conferences is the sidebar conversations, the the relationships I make with the coaches that are there. Also, and maybe you know we're not that in tune to the presentation happening, but we're connecting on a different level. And now this is somebody I'm going to call up for some of that yeah. same language or somebody that's more experienced that I know has gone through this in growing their business, etc. So. Long so story short, there's so a is lot that of ability is that ability to call up those people worth a thousand dollars of endless knowledge? Boom! Nope, uh, no answer. That's rhetoric. That's rhetorical. It always ends up being worth it. Mic drop. Boom. Done. Depends who it is. No, not at all. But, but if you make three, then all of those people count, and then yeah. you have three people you could talk to. Boom. Three meaningful relationships that you can value and all because of that $1,000 seminar. You know, and I did say that I, I'm working on creating more meaningful relationships, but that's with my athletes. I don't always necessarily <laughs> want to talk to more people all the time. So No new friends. It's, uh, it's getting hard to talk to you on this podcast right now. That's okay. <laughs> <laughs> so we went pretty deep into the pros and cons of the acute uh, continuing education phase. What are some of the pros and cons or methods of, of the long-term continuing education that we've talked about? I mean, I think one of the main, um, I guess, goals of long-term growth or not goals, a paths of long-term growth sure. is, is going to be just setting goals along the way. Sure. Um, and, trying to accomplish those and setting a time frame for those goals. Like I wanted yeah. to get better at dry needling in three years and then focus all your efforts on that. And knowing that you have a, an end goal in mind or an end date in mind is going to make you better at that and actually focus on that a little bit more versus if you just keep saying, Oh, I'm going to do that later. Oh, I'm going to get better at queuing later. I'm going to read those studies later. Later has no end date. So you're just going to keep pushing it off, especially if you have procrastination tendencies like I do. Mm-hmm. Um, another thing is, is similar to what we were talking about in the acute phase for those courses is surrounding yourself with people that make you want to be better. Like I, I say it to anybody that comes to shadow me. I'm the dumbest person that is in the, the building that I work at. (laughs) Like I, I can learn a lot from every single other person that's in that facility. I'm the youngest. I'm, I'm the newest in the profession. And I did that for a reason. Like I'm paying a little bit more for my rent for a reason because that 
makes me better. And it gives me like, I was just talking about PTs can't even, uh, uh, submit MRI requests. Like they can't order MRIs, but, and Kairos can, but I spent an entire hour today talking to Jeff about, Hey, should I do this MRI versus that MRI? Should I do this first jet or versus that for a shoulder issue? And should I do a shoulder blade or should I do a GH joint for the MRI? Cause those are two separate images. Do I have contrast and no contrast? And I thought I knew the answers, but then somebody that's had 20 years in practice and of me just being able to have that conversation with him. And I'm like, Oh fuck, I guess I was wrong. <laughs> like that makes way more sense than he, you and he went through it. You actually think that you're wrong? I oh, dude, I'm wrong all the fucking time. <laughs> all the time. <laughs> no, that's a hundred. Yeah. I, I think that's a big step in this long-term growth is having the humility to understand your own personal strengths and weaknesses. Right? Yeah. So, so knowing that you're going to need a little guidance in your first couple of years of practice or, or knowing that, you know, in my context specifically, like, I wasn't that good a movement coach, right? I, I spent very little time teaching people how to sprint or how to run because I was a little more interested in mixed martial arts and how much sprinting do you know mixed martial arts? And getting you know? swole. Right. So I knew that was personal weakness. I worked at Land Performance. That's the calling card. So, you know, contextual awareness. Let's get fucking better at that thing. Let's mm-hmm. add it to my tool set. Um, but along the lines of finding the right people, finding a mentor, I think is hugely undervalued to have one person in your corner, one mentor ahead of you that you can continually rely on for your growth. You know, it's like, it's like having a a life head coach, right? Like if you're an MMA athlete and you have a head coach, that person helps guide your whole process, right? Your whole camp, your whole preparation leading up to the fight, you know, in professional settings, Sometimes you get a mentor, sometimes you don't, sometimes you're doing your own thing. Sometimes, you know, I think it's very valuable at least for a stage of your career, whether it's, you know, two years, five years, you know, your whole career, whatever it is, find that one mentor that you can always call on a, you know, Thursday night that you're really conflicted about what to do. And you can talk them through that situation. Hey man, what's your advice on this? Because, mm-hmm. you know, I've, I've played with it this and that way. And a lot of times those mentorship relationships become coach athlete relationships in a professional setting. Right. Right. Well, and that, I mean, that's true. I didn't even think about that, but that having that mentor is, I guess I didn't really think about that. I have a bunch of mentors all in one spot, but mm-hmm. having that one mentor um, relationship, like I got a buddy, his name is James Warner. He, the guy that got me into motion palpation. He, he got me into all the good things about chiropractic work. Um, and, and being basically my job, he's the whole reason he's the one that introduced me to being able to be a performance therapist. Cause that was always his model that he wanted to do. And he yeah. brought it up to me, but I know if I, if I called him right here on air, I guarantee he'd answer. And I know that he would, if I had any questions, he'd answer it right now. Yeah. And having that, that trust in somebody that I know that he's always going to like, he's always going to look out for me and tell me the right answers has allowed me to be more confident in how I treat because like sure. it. It's like, oh, fuck, like maybe you do know how to do this. And even if you don't, even if you don't know what it is and you can say you're wrong or you have no idea, you can call somebody that probably will. And if if he doesn't know either, then he's going to call his mentor and they're going to figure it out. Right. And it, it, it's a interesting, interesting that you said com- confidence booster, excuse me, because if your mentor is also at the same kind of roadblock that you're at. Like it, it proves yourself that, and I, maybe I'm the only one that has this. I don't think I am, but I'm like, God, I'm a dumbass. I can't figure out this problem right now. 
you know, and then you yep. call and talk to whoever your mentor is or somebody that you perceive to be ahead of you in the field. And they're like, yeah, that is a pretty tough answer I don't, or a tough question. I don't have an answer for you. Like you're right to be considering both options, whatever. And it's like, oh, I'm not so much of a dumbass. This is a pretty tough problem. All right. Then you're like, I'm a fucking genius. I'm just a <laughs> genius that doesn't know this answer. Right. So, well, I think the genius part is pretty exclusive to you, Austin, but that's true. Um, that is but yeah. in- internal talk. Robert Green has a really good uh, book, and and one of the central themes is having a mentor. But the book is called Mastery, right? So it's mastery of any craft. But one of his biggest points in that book is to find a mentor and use their model of growth. And then, like, it's literally what we talk about all the time in in this field of strength conditioning or you know uh, physical therapy or, or chiropractic. You're standing on the shoulders of giants, right? Like. Other people have figured a lot of shit out before you do. So you don't have to reinvent the wheel and figure the shit out just the way they did. Maybe you put your nuance on it, but um, you can build off that work of your mentor. Well, and that's actually a really good point is being okay saying this, is, this isn't this is new. This is just my take on this. Right. So many people like I'll, I'll throw shade all day. Fucking functional patterns and naughty Aguilar. <laughs> First of all, fuck that guy. Second of all, he acts like he's making up all of these ideas and, and his shit's actually pretty good. Like there's some movements I really like and it, it makes sense. But the fact that he's claiming that he made this, that he's the first person to ever think of these things, that yada yada versus saying, Hey, I just packaged a bunch of this shit and it, it works. I don't really know why, why it works, but all these different movements in the anatomy trains, uh, area of expertise or the sling based area of movement, they work really well and they make a bunch of gains. If he would have just said that mm-hmm. I could back him all day. But the fact that he's like, no, I'm the first person to ever do this. You can't do anything else. Deadlifts are making you stupider and dumber and slower. Mm-hmm. Um, that I, I can't get behind that. And there's all that goes kind of back to like the zealots thing that we were, that you were talking about earlier where um, when, when you are more comfortable with being able to say, I didn't really come up with anything. This is just my thoughts on this. And I think they're really good, but I don't really know. That's when you can take the next level up and you start learning more and more and more. It, you well, allow yourself to fail. And that's, that's the true, if we're going to circle all the way back, that's the true creative process. That's the innovation in the field is putting your spin on some maybe old things. And, and like, one big thing I want I want to point out in the strength and conditioning industry is how often or how seldom, excuse me, how seldom true innovation is, yeah. right? Like a lot of the shit that we're doing has been figured out for a lot of years. You know, mm-hmm. like uh, I'm the biggest fan of Brian Mann's APRE system, right? Melsif created it in 1980, you know? Like, like Brian Mann repackaged it and he made it practical to a collegiate setting and to, you know, continue on or, or back to present day. But, you know, the Dapper model was around for a long time before Brian Mann made it the APRE. Right. Mm-hmm. So it's uh, it's interesting to see those repackaging and rebrandings of things. And I think a lot of people with correct humility will note this, that here's my specific nuance on it. Here's you know, what everybody before me has said on it. Here's the knowledge base that I'm working off of. I think that does nothing but add credibility to what you're saying, but the, the, the claiming it as your own piece, that that's just an ego boost and the sensational, the sensationalization that's, you know, probably a marketing boost. Right. Um, so there, there's a lot funny of, because like if I, when I was in first grade, I got told not to plagiarize in school. 
Mm-hmm. <laughs> it's like one of the first rules you learn is don't just steal from other people, especially like their words. Right. But if you repackage it and call it new words. Exactly. And then it's just sampling. And I think that's allowed in music. Well, uh, sampling. And then the other quote that I thought was really funny as I was going through my thesis was, if you steal from one person, it's called plagiarism. If you steal from a lot of people, it's called research. <laughs> it's called a meta-analysis. Right. So, uh, How did your thesis go? Talk about professional uh, growth. That's a sure. big, big step. It took a long time, but it, we finally got there. We got it published probably, you know, by the time this airs, maybe a month ago. Um, okay. And it was published in the Sport Coaching Review, which is a pretty high up there philosophical journal on coaching it actually like goes into the profession of coaching and how coaches either learn to get better or how they figure out where they're at and in this whole scheme of life right or what ideas in coaching came from philosophy etc so just got it published um the main deal that it works with is how science and practice clash in a sports Mm -hmm. setting more than anywhere else right like um, it centers around rapid weight loss and weight cutting but it says like Here's all this scientific literature on weight cutting, and here's how much of it we apply, which is zero, right? Because as wrestlers and as coaches, this is how I did it. So you got to make the weight. This is how I do it. Don't ask, don't tell, blah, blah, blah. So it's like, it's just a a deep dive into demonstrating a misalignment of science versus practice is if you wanted me to go on that spiel about my thesis. I did. Honestly, I was curious. I haven't read it yet. Um, You sent me the link. It's on my to-do list for this week, but fun. I know it's going to be a blast. There's some, but I'm excited uh, there's for some you. dense philosophy in there, so don't. Am don't I hold mentioned? That, don't hold that against me. Uh, I don't think so. Fuck. Well, now it I don't was an autoethnography. Now I don't so even want to read it. I know. I didn't. I'm not surprised <laughs> there. But it was an autoethnography, so I used my personal experience as data for my no. philosophical study. Is, uh, yeah, and how that works. That's why I was asking, but no, dude, um, that's a big step in professional growth, going through those steps and actually having to do the discipline of doing the step-by-step process of publishing oh, something. Cause man, that's a pain in the dick. It takes so long and, and <laughs> right. And, and give credit where credit's due. My advisors, Dr. Garrity and Dr. Mills of the university of Denver, they jumped through a lot of those hoops for me and I'm not yeah. ignorant to that. They did a lot of editing on it and uh, reviewing and things like that. So when we got to the publishing process is honestly pretty short, uh, cycle of review and that, because they were so stringent on me when I was writing it. So that ended up being a good thing, but yeah, it's, you know, I graduated August, 2020 with my master's degree and I've been working on this since, and it's, what is it even October, 2022. So extra two years. And, and I wasn't working on it full time or anything, but it's a lot. But you didn't even have to publish it if you didn't want to, right? <clears throat> right. Like it, it took a long process, but you knew that that was going to make you, but it's a lot of delayed gratification is essentially what sure. I'm getting at. Yeah, sure. And sometimes when you're getting better at something, that's what it is. It's all delayed gratification. Like you just right. got to put the fucking work in and put your head down. Like we, me and you, we talk about that all the time with building a fighter. Yeah. We're at the point right now, we just got to shut the fuck up, put our head down and just put in the work and know that. Plugging away, yep. It's going to work as, as far as you go through it. As long as you put the work in, as long as you have a positive path moving forward, it's going to work. You just got to trust it. And so many people don't want to trust that process. They don't want to, well, they don't want to wake up and do 20 minutes on it in the morning, even though that's what's good for them. They don't want to 
sleep eight and a half hours a night because even though that's what's good for them, they want to go party and they want that instant gratification when the only way you're winning a strap, the only way you're getting to the top of the food chain in your given profession is going to be something that is delayed gratification because there has to be a plan that you work at every single day to get incrementally small little bit better. Yeah. And I totally agree with you. I think the delayed gratification and the work that you put in, like that's our whole profession. That's the whole process that we, yeah. we have invested our time into mastering. So that process in and of itself is, is rightfully undertook by some of the right people. But I think where there's misalignment that happens is we don't understand the actual undertaking when we agree. I want to be yeah. a UFC fighter. Like, do you understand what that takes? What, Right. Do you how know much how much sacrifice, sacrifice that's going to take? The, yeah. What's the process to get there? So there's that misalignment of expectations that happens. And then um, the other thing that happens is like, it gets scary. Like you, you have doubts in your head. It's like, fuck, I don't know if I'm going to get there. Like you, you get into really dark places, but I think that's where you, you get a true testament to see who you are as a person. What are you going to do when shit's up against the wall? What are you going to do in the dark times? And how are you going to come out of that? Are you going to grow from the adversity? Or are you going to shrink from it? And, you know, you can shrink from it for a little bit, but ultimately you got to plug back in. You got to get yeah. back on the horse. You got to keep working to either reach your end goal or shift your focus. Like the, the, mm -hmm. that's the decision that needs to be made. Um, so yeah, it's not I don't know how we got on this motivational kick, but it's not really about continuing education. We're talking about growing as a person, professional sure. growth. Sure. But you know, you're right. You hit the nail on the head. It's it. You just got to do your thing and you got to put your head down and you just got to get going. Having that confidence in it too is, is oh, for, speaking from my personal experience, yeah. it's really hard, right? It's like, I'm at the point now where I feel confident that I'm really good at my job. Mm -hmm. That was not the case for, you know, five years in my profession. Yeah. And, and sometimes, I'm like, yeah. I'm a weirdly confident person and right. I, I was, there's times that I'm like, am I doing the right thing? I never thought I would ever think that in my entire life. Right. There's been times in the last three years. I'm like, am I, am I actually doing the right thing? Should I just quit and just go work at the joint and hate my job, but make good money and live fine? Or, or do I keep doing this thing that I know I'm not making as money as, as yeah. much money as most of my peers, but it's just, I have a plan and it's going to work and it's going to go. Well, real life stressors hit you hard, you know, finances, uh, fulfillment, you know, work-life balance, those things, yeah. like as much as those things you don't consider at all when you're coming up into a profession, like they hit you mm -hmm. hard and then you have to make, you're forced to make those tough choices. But if you've put in the continual work and, and you've really plugged away for it and, and you're committed to it, I think you'll see your way out on the other end of that. Um, which is kind of the last thing I want to hit on with confidence is like, you see your really high achievers and, and it's one of my theories. I think they're really high achievers for one of two reasons. They're super ultimately confident in their skill set and in their work ethic, right? Which some people fall into that category or they're super insecure about their skill and their work ethic when it comes to that subject area. So mm -hmm. they're constantly getting better. So they're constantly at the continuing education. They're constantly moving forward and getting better, um, which, you know, begets more results. But then I also still think I'm shit at my job. So I get better results. So it's, it's a, a process and it's interesting to take a deep dive into those two different mindsets. Well, it's the age old, do you love to win or do you hate to lose? Like it's yeah, literally sure. what it is just playing out at the top level is sure. <laughs> do you love to win? Do you love to be, to be that person at the top? Or you just fucking hate beat losing so much. Do you hate having somebody in front of you that you're just going to keep working until you 
don't and then just keep working that's the jeff bezos's yeah where he's just he's a workaholic he wants to keep going there's nobody even close to amazon nobody got even <laughs> fucking close and he stayed the ceo for like an extra 10 years just so that amazon kept growing yeah like that's crazy that's that wow. it, that that can't be an i love to win situation that has to be a i fucking hate losing so much i'm gonna get so far ahead yeah. that nobody can get close yeah it's interesting but yeah dude that is what i got on professional growth that was yeah, a good 40 minutes there it is man well if you guys got to get in touch with us all of our information is in the show notes that's going to be our emails and our instagrams contact us at either of those we have strength conditioning programs we have a low back program we have a bunch of different documents programs courses at our building so please head on over there check that out um, and if you need any sort of programming for you or your team feel free to send us a message or buy one of those programs at building it's dr austin shane alex rubin and we are out